this, the word of life can be known, should be shared, and results in complete joy. The word of life can be known, should be shared, and results in complete joy. Let's look again, and we'll unpack it a little bit. First John. Let's look at the first two verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. You see what he's doing here is John is reminding us of his gospel account. Remember what what we just reiterated from from John, the gospel account? In the beginning, same, same type of wording here, in the beginning was the word. The Word was God, the Word was with God, the Word word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's reminding his reader, hey, do you remember what I wrote in the Gospel according to John? That which was from the beginning, that which we heard, he's heard, heard and listened to him personally. He says, which we have seen with our eyes, we saw him ourselves. This is... These, these people who are now coming into the church and teaching this Gnosticism, he's saying, listen, I may be old, but I want you to know I knew him. I knew Jesus. I walked with him. I talked with him. I saw him with my own eyes. And look at this. It almost seems like he repeats himself, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. What's he saying here? The idea there is not that he just saw him physically. He's saying, listen, I saw him and we examined his every every word, his every teaching, everything that he did. We examined that with our own eyes. We saw it. And then he says, you know, we, we looked upon him. Our hands have handled him. Essentially what John is getting at is, listen, I have first hand eye witness experience with the incarnated Christ, Jesus. I saw him, touched him. What does that mean? Physical. He's not just spirit. Touched him in the flesh. You guys are listening to these people who are teaching that everything in the flesh is sinful and they're denying the incarnation of Christ. He said, listen, I saw him, I knew him, I touched his flesh and I preached that gospel to you and look at what it says verse 2 the life was manifested in other words Jesus was revealed and then he says it again we have seen and then it so that's like the third time he's saying look saw it with my own eyes and then he says and bear witness that should remind us again of John right remember how many times he used that term in the gospel, bear witness. We, this is our whole purpose. We're trying to bear witness of the incarnate Christ. So he continually is repeating himself. Why? To emphasize his personal encounter. And because of that personal encounter with the incarnated Christ, he then has what? Authority to share the message that Jesus gave him to share. And he says, and, and what, what does he do with that? Declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So he, he's making his cakes. He's laying it out. And he's saying, listen, I saw it with my own eyes. And now the teaching of Gnosticism is being taught among the churches. And John is writing with authority. 
that he was an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. He is declaring, if you want to know the message of Christ, don't, don't listen to the opinions of false teachers. He says, instead, listen to me because I was actually there. That's his whole introduction. That's what he's getting at. I was there. I saw him in the flesh. And he walked among us. So in today's context, there are even more opinions, distortions, inaccuracies, and even denials of who Jesus actually was and is. And this is why the Bible is so important, right? This is why it's so important for us to have the scriptures right there in front of us to know what? To have an accurate understanding of who he is because those teachings are going to come whether whether it's through a, a false church or whether a false religion or whether it's just through conversations and it makes its way into the church the Bible is so important and John is writing these epistles to set the record straight and he's saying listen I don't want this false teaching to enter its way into the church it's still very foundational, right? This is first century Christianity. The church is still fairly new. And he's saying, listen, we're already dealing with all this false teaching. We've got to do everything that we can to make sure that this doesn't continue. So what we do with Jesus is what? Et of eternal significance. It is absolutely essential that we get this part right. That we know who Jesus was. That, that he is incarnate. That, uh, incarnate, the idea there is flesh, right? Uh, uh, car when we use the word carnal, uh, we're talking about flesh or chili con carne, you know, chili with flesh. When we say meat, but same thing, right? That's the idea. Uh, it, it, it literally is flesh. Okay, so here's the thing. All of, all of the Christian faith rests upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is central to our faith. We've got to get this right. And that's why John is writing these epistles and saying, if we're going to have false teachers coming in and questioning the very incarnation of Christ, then we've got to address it. That it's not some special knowledge that you, that you have to have. Let's go back to the basics of the gospel. Let me tell you about one of the greatest blunders of history. And it's by, the, by someone whose name we know very well, Benjamin Franklin. Let me tell you this greatest blunder. We celebrate his writings, his contributions to science, his diplomacy, and of course his inventions. But let me tell you about his greatest blunder. The blunder that um, probably doesn't get much attention at all. It's found in a letter that he wrote on March 9th in 1790. Here's what Franklin wrote. He said, As to Jesus of Nazareth, I think the system of morals and his religion, as he left them to us, the best the world ever saw or is likely to see. But I apprehend it has received various corrupting changes, and I have with most of the present dissenters in England some doubts as to his divinity though it is a question I do not dogmatize upon 
having never studied it and think it needless to busy myself with it now. Wow, end quote. I want you to consider what he just said in all of this. Consider this. He said, you know what? He said, there's a lot of us who are questioning the incarnation of a God, the, the, that God would come and dwell in his divinity. And, and he's like, I'm one who, uh, to question that. I'm with many dissenters in England, and we're, you know, we're not really sure that Jesus is in fact, in fact God. And he's denying that. But then notice what he says. But I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. You know, I'm really not sure. And then he admits what? I've never studied it. I've never studied it. So he has this opinion about it. He has this opinion that Jesus is not divine, that he is not God incarnate. And then he has this opinion that that he follows up by saying, I'm not going to be dogmatic because... I really don't know. I never really studied it. And then he says, but I'm not going to bother with it now. It's, I'm not going to busy my, in fact, listen, I think it needless to busy myself with it now. I think it needless to busy myself with it now. It was interesting because I went, I was looking at the date, March 9th, 1790. So I did a little bit of research, went online, looked up Benjamin Franklin, and something popped out. Benjamin Franklin died one month later. He died one month later from the, from the date of that letter. It was, he was just too busy to, to worry about it. I mean, I've never studied it, got an opinion about it, never studied it, have lots of opinions about it, never studied it, never bothered listening to someone else who studied it. But I've got an opinion about it, and I'm just going to reject it and not even bother listening to someone who may have studied it. Biggest blunder of Benjamin Franklin. Who entered eternity having never considered with any sincerity the incarnation of Christ. So what was his blunder? He saw Jesus as nothing more than the founder of a moral system. The best the world has ever known, he said. Maybe the best the world will ever see. Listen, I think that's crept into our churches. I think some of our churches have accepted this idea of Christianity is just a moral system. Be good. He acknowledged that there was differing opinions about Jesus, and he acknowledged he'd never studied it, examined it. But his conclusion is going to determine his eternal fate. And it wasn't worth his time. Listen to me. He says, I think it needless to busy myself with it now. I want you to hear me on this. Now is all we have. That's all we have. We have now. There is no guarantee of tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. We have now. And we have to busy ourselves with now, making sure that we know who this Jesus is, that he is incarnate. And you see the urgency that John is now writing these epistles because he's like, listen, we're just, we are in the foundational first century Christianity, first century. And he's got to make sure that this is not being taught in the churches. But what we believe about Jesus cannot be delayed. We're not guaranteed the next day. In fact, Benjamin Franklin's delay was his decision. A delay is a decision. 
To put something off is to decide. And ultimately, it can be a terrible decision. So it's never needless to busy ourselves with Jesus. It's never needless to do so. If he is he who is who he claimed to be, Jesus, to be as the scriptures declare, then failure to know him would be our greatest blunder in life.